the consequence of that was people were coming back and saying, oh, can we do some more? So I was just charging them what felt comfortable. And it was a mile away from what I wanted to charge before. But I had the seeds of a paid coaching practice. And that's when it started. And I started to realize that actually the best thing you can be doing to actually grow a successful practice is be in the game of actually coaching people. Welcome to the Coaching Life Podcast, where we peel back the bull crap and brush away any photoshopping to give you an unfiltered look at what it's like to live a coaching life. Now, in what feels like a lifetime ago, but was in fact just five years ago, I took a train down to London to my first Michael Neal talk at uh, Alternatives at St. James's Church in Piccadilly in London. By the way, that's a lovely venue. I've had so many wonderful evenings there. People like Michael and Ita Morjani, Robert Holden, oh my goodness, so many, so many wonderful talks there. Anyway, yes, five years ago, um, and this was a few months into one of my first free principles programs, one of Michael Neal's online programs, and a few of us in that got together that afternoon before that talk for a cuppa and a drink. And one of those lovely people is today's guest, who is one of the most warm and engaging people I know. I've yeah. seen him venture in and out of the coaching communities. I know he's invested significantly in his own training and development. And I've heard him talk about how building his own coaching practice and business hasn't exactly been a smooth and straight line path, right? So um, <laughs> so let's dive in and chat with my dear friend, Mr. John L. Mokadum. Hello. Hello, Phil. Thank you for that lovely intro. It's, oh. uh, it's really nice to see you again, to be and here again. Thank you. Far too long, hasn't it? Been far too long. I so, know. Time flies. Like those five or six years. Not much happened, really? In those, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not quite sure that's true. There's been a lot going on, I think, for both of us. But, uh... So uh, let's come back to that. I'm curious then, really, what... Um, what got you into this profession and indeed perhaps, you know, up to what got you going to that talk in London where we met? Yeah, I mean, I I stumbled into this profession. I think a lot of us do, but I, I, I'd left a career in IT and um, I'd left it because I was just really unhappy. And uh, I thought it had a lot to do with what I was doing. I thought it was the work I was doing. And there were a lot of other things that I kind of had you know, trouble with in my life, you know, relationships and all sorts of things. So I ended up just kind of leaving a career and, and by chance I was invited to a, a coaching event um, and someone said, oh, we're talking about like, you know, purpose of life and what we're doing here. And, and I thought, well, I could probably do with a bit of that at the minute because <laughs> I don't really know what I'm up to at the moment. So so I ended up at this, uh, it was just a traditional kind of coaching event, and uh, I got a huge amount of value from it at the time. And I was really inspired to see people walk into a room with what seemed like the weight of the world on their shoulder. And they seemed to be leaving feeling lighter and more happy and, and, and more connected and feeling a bit more just in life rather than just in their heads. 
And I don't know, I remember distinctly during that event just having the thought, wow, I'd really love to be able to do this with other people. Mm. Um, and it started a journey of just kind of exploring and and being in self-development and, you know, doing all the various self-development stuff there is out there and and then doing some teaching around that stuff. And, and then I had a period where I got ill um, and then a lot of the stuff that I'd learned just wasn't making sense during that period. And it, it really took me down a different path, which is how I ended up in the conversation around the principles and what eventually led me to meet you and, and, and do what I now do with people. So that's a really condensed version of kind of how I came to get here. But it, it gives you a bit of a feel. It was really just trying to overcome a lot of discomfort in my life and, yeah. and to find some meaning and find some just some peace with myself, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm sure many of us totally relate to that. So what, what was going on for you then in relation to sort of coaching or your work and your career when, when, when we met at that Michael Neal talk? Well, I'd done a lot of um, kind of, uh, you know, the sort of traditional coach stuff, NLP and all of that kind of stuff. And at the time I was doing, um, I was doing bits and pieces of training with that. And it was mostly in a corporate environment. Um, and I and I I was doing it, but I felt there was just something not quite right about it. Um, and and I it seemed like I was teaching lots of tools and techniques, and it looked to me like the most important thing that people were actually getting from those events was not the tools and techniques because no one was really following up and using them. Um, what they seemed to be finding more valuable was just having a space to shut down and reflect and they were having insights in those spaces and those seemed to be more valuable than any of the things that I was teaching. So I was doing a combination of that but I was also doing IT work because I still had this background in IT um, and you know I wasn't earning enough from doing uh, just the, the coaching and training. Mm -hmm. There was this period where I was blending the two um, and then I you know as, as that kind of coaching work in that form fell away and I started getting more involved in the principles there was a period of time where I was doing a lot more IT work than there was uh, coaching work, um, even whilst I was learning more about the principles and, you know, going to trainings and seeing teachers and, and all of that sort of stuff. And, you know, within the context of what, what we're talking about, I, I, whilst I was doing the work around the principles, I was being really impacted by them. Um, and yet, I was still finding myself making up in my head that actually that secretly I should be being a coach and not really doing the IT work. <laughs> um, and so there, there was this period of time where I kind of boxed the IT work into the bad category and can't be happy category and, uh, um, and, and, and really wanted to build a practice. Um, and get clients and, you know, be doing the work as a coach. And, and I wasn't terribly successful with it. Um, you know, there was a real, there was a real desperation about me, if I'm honest with you. Um, and it's the trap that I see a lot of coaches seem to fall into, which is they become impacted by being coached and by engaging with this work. And then they kind of prematurely make up that now this is going to be their full-time career the way they earn their money and, you know, what they do in the world. And actually, there's a bit of a time lag that I see between being impacted 
and getting to the stage where you are good enough to be able to impact other people and charge good money for it and to be able to live from it. And the trouble I had was my, my view of that time lag was pretty off. So I thought, oh, well, been impacted, done a few courses, now it's my full-time career. And trying to do that against the backdrop of judging the IT work. So you can imagine when I would meet with a prospective client, not only did I have a slight imposter syndrome going on my head, which was, can I really help this person? Am I really good enough? And then on top of that, I had the, you know, the desperation to earn a living from doing coaching because I really didn't want to go back to IT because I didn't think I could be okay doing that. Yeah. And I can tell you, it was not a good recipe for building a business because clients, especially people who hire us, I mean, one of the things they'll look for is to what extent are you kind of settled in your life and seeing what you talk about? Mm. Well, truth be told, I probably wasn't seeing it that clearly because I was still making up I shouldn't be doing IT because <laughs> I couldn't be happy doing it. <laughs> so, so you can imagine on a feeling level, you go and talk to a prospective client and even if it looked like what you were saying was going to be a benefit to them, on a feeling level, what was actually coming across from me was, I need you to pay me money so that I can feel better about my life. <laughs> well, they're not going to buy that. <laughs> and they didn't. <laughs> so I didn't do very well. Yeah. Um, and, the, and the breakthrough for me really came when, well, I've, I've talked about this before, but I'll share it again. You know, I, I had a conversation with my wife, who's endlessly wiser than me most of the time. And, and she, she said to me, why don't you go back and do IT work? And I initially objected very strongly to it. And, and I said to her, well, I can't be happy doing IT. And then there was something about that day when, I, when those words were uttered out of my mouth, a little alarm bell went off that said, you don't live in the feeling of your circumstances, John. You're making that up. Yeah. And I didn't like it because it didn't meet my shiny, pretty, you know, made up vision of who I thought I was and what I was going to do. But I couldn't unsee it. So in that moment, I, I was like, yeah, you know what, actually, maybe the possibility does exist for me to be okay doing IT work. And maybe if that's all I learned from this journey, then great. So I, I ended up at that moment, I actually saw I had an IT contract sitting literally in front of me that I'd been pushing away. <laughs> and I was like, right, I'll go for it. And I took it on. And to my surprise, I actually really enjoyed doing it. But the funny thing is, Phil, that it was whilst I was doing that IT contract that I actually started picking up coaching clients. <laughs> now, granted, mm -hmm. these weren't, you know, groundbreaking fees or anything like that. It was just, you know, people were getting value from conversations with me because I no longer was desperate to get clients. So it was no longer about me. Yeah. And the consequence of that was people were coming back and saying, oh, can we do some more? So I was just charging them what felt comfortable. And it was a mile away from what I was trying to charge before. But I had the seeds of a paid coaching practice. And that's when it started. And I started to realize that actually the best thing you can be doing to actually grow a successful practice is 
be in the game of actually coaching people. Yeah. And I was not doing that all the while I was trying to have a, you know, full practice that was going to support my living because my fees were too high and I hadn't have enough experience. So the combination of the two just meant I wasn't really doing a lot of work with people. So the most valuable thing I saw was when you take off the table, the need to make the coaching practice fulfill your life. Well, now you start actually doing the work with people and you do it from a better feeling. You do it from a better energy and you actually start to see that in being in the game and getting the experience, you can impact people, <laughs> which which then changes your whole perception of yourself and what you can bring to clients that might come to you. And that's when you start seeing, oh, actually, there's value to what I do. So maybe I can up my prices. <laughs> and, you know, we hear this so often, don't we? And it's, it's to the extent that it's almost cliche, really, in this profession about it. It's much more about how you show up. And, mm -hmm. and you've described that beautifully in that, you know, showing up, liberated and free of any neediness for anything at all to happen in those conversations mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i see when i go off because like i can still go in and out of that i'm human mm. so there are times when i'll get up in my head and then might get a bit you know might come across a bit needy and i'll probably go a bit off when that happens and i can't do anything about it but it's really it's really good to just notice the difference yeah. between when you show up and you genuinely see you're okay and then you talk to someone because here's what i noticed it's not like i have like amazing marketing or a fabulous website or you know i i don't have any of that stuff even when i talk to prospective clients i'm not really following a a sales process or a pitch or anything like that but it doesn't stop me getting clients mm -hmm. and the reason for that that i can see is that Clients aren't really looking to buy my marketing. They're looking to buy me and the feeling that comes from me and whether they genuinely can smell whether I can help them or not. And if they can smell that, well, you know, it doesn't matter about the marketing <laughs> and the website. I mean, I'm sure it's nice to have those things, but how many coaches spend time like trying to perfect their business card or their business name or, you know, their website or their sales pitch or whatever. Yeah. But how much better might it be if you actually just go and do the do the work, even if it's for free, right? Go and work with people and impact them. See that you create value with people. And then when you talk to clients, you just won't have all this thinking knocking around about whether you're an imposter or anything like that. You'll show up already free and knowing that you can you can do the work. And there's just something about that that, is so much more powerful in my experience and you you touched on a, this is kind of an extension of the point you touched on right from the off and it kind of reminded me so i went and saw somebody in uh next town from me in colchester 20 minute 20 minute journey yeah and um i let's just say i had some discomfort and i sat with him and he did his thing mm -hmm. and um yeah there was some weird stuff went on in my head actually and i came away from that appointment and the discomfort has gone and never came back mm -hmm. now from that experience i could think 
whoa, I'm so impacted by that experience. I'm going I'm to go and do that as well. But actually, you know what he did, John, is he took one of my teeth out. And um, just because I was impacted by that does not mean <laughs> I do not think, okay, I'm going to go and do that as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a great example. It is a great example. It, just because you get impacted doesn't necessarily mean that you should be, you should be a coach. Right. Right. So, and, 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 and yeah, a lot of, yeah. Yeah, sorry. Well, so so one thing I admire about you as well is the extent of which you have invested in yeah. um, training and and what have you. Can you come on? You might feel a little bit uncomfortable about it, but you know that that doesn't matter. Tell us a little bit about your training CV because um, I know you've you've gone through Michael Neal Super Coach Academy a couple of times. Is it? Come on. Well, I've, I mean, if you want to go through the years, I mean, I've. I, I, I won't talk about amounts, but I mean, I've done, I did all the NLP stuff. I did NLP trainer and master practitioner and practitioner. And, and then I did another coaching course that was the one that sort of started this whole thing. So it was like a training I did. And then there was a, a coach training that came off that. And then I did the NLP stuff. And then I did a lot of the Tony Robbins stuff, which, you know, interesting. Yeah. And then um, I did I did the academy, but I did the academy in the framework of doing the apprenticeship. So I did an apprenticeship in 2014 with Michael, which included the academy as part of that. And then I did the advanced track of the academy in 2016. Um, so, you know, there's been a fair old whack of stuff that I've done um, over the years, but you know, I don't regret any of it. In the, even even the stuff I did in the early days, I don't really regret any of that stuff. It just feels like it was me doing what felt right at the stage I was at, and it's just kind of unfolded. Yeah, and and I love the contrast actually in some of the training that I've done. And one thing in particular actually was 2014. I did what was then my last Rich Litvin intensive. Mm-hmm. And three days later, that was in Santa Monica. And three days later, I then went to my very first Robert Holden five-day workshop in San Diego. And the contrast mm. was beautiful. The contrast of the work mm. um, was absolutely beautiful. And if it hadn't have worked out that way, I, I guess I might not have got so much as I did, you know, from, from, the, from the Robert Holden workshop. So mm-hmm. it's like it all makes sense. Yeah, I, I mean, the thing that, I see for myself. I mean, I'm not one of these people that says, oh, once you learn the principles, then that's it. and You shouldn't do X, Y and Z things. I mean, I'm not like that. I mean, it is true that a lot of us have come to that conversation as a result of doing lots of other stuff. But I mean, what, what I noticed for myself is with the understanding we get by being around the principles, well, you can be anywhere and in any kind of training and if you know how the system works, you can have insight even in an NLP training or, you know, doing any other kind of training, even if it's quite a prescriptive thing. It doesn't really matter because the learning comes from inside of you anyway. Mm. So, I mean, I don't I don't tend to make judgments about these things. I mean, if it occurred to me to go and see a Tony Robbins seminar again, I'd go. Yeah. Like, I, I think the thing that would be freeing for me is knowing that I didn't need to necessarily take on board everything I was being told, but I could just be in that space and see what came up within me um, and see what insight made sense to me. I think that would be the difference. 
But I wouldn't inherently judge what was going on or say it's bad or you shouldn't do it. I just think that's another set of rules and restrictions and I don't find those particularly helpful. Yeah. Um, so how, how do you think you have evolved as a coach over the last few years? How? What's oh, interesting. Way, yeah. I think the thing that has, has kind of is, is noticeable for me is just I've settled down so much. Um, and I, I, and I kind of see that it's not up to me to do the work. The work gets done through me, if that makes sense. Mm, totally Whereas true. you see in the, in the early days, it really used to look like, you know, right, it's my job to coach this person and what am I going to do and what am I going to use and what tools and techniques and what might I bring into the conversation and, and all that really did was mean that I wasn't terribly ple- present with people. Um, and what I see now is that, you know, and it's a byproduct of the understanding, I think, is that, you know, I, I'm kind of lived by life and the work gets done through me. So really, it's my job to show up and allow that work to get done um, in whatever way it, it wants to happen. And the less full of my own my own, excuse my language, shit that I am, you know, my own ideas of how it should be and what should happen and what should what should be done with this client, actually the better that work seems to get done. Um, so I'd say that's one thing. And I think the other thing is I've stopped trying to figure out who I work with. Like, you know, there's a lot of noise, I think, in our community about you know, finding niches and that sort of thing. <laughs> I mean, who knew that the person struggling with his health for seven years would be doing health coaching with people and, <laughs> you know, doing research studies and all that sort of I mean, which is the majority of the work I do now. I work with people with, with health issues around chronic fatigue and, you know, that sort of thing. I mean, I didn't think that was going to happen. I had no clue. <laughs> and, and, and that's what I mean by it's not really my job to figure these things out because the more I've just recognized that actually I'm okay, the more I just see life tends to know where to move me already and its plans and how it does it seem to make a lot more sense than anything I could come up in my tiny little head. Yeah. Um, and that's really freeing because it used to all look like it was on me. Um, it used, yeah. I love that. I love that. I think I've, I've heard a few people in the in the principles community say something along the lines of, and I totally get it as well. That um, what's really changed for them is they've gone through a stage of, um, you know, well, thinking they need to be more in control, to realizing they're not in control, and then being completely okay with not being in control. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's like one of those things that when you first hear it, sounds like really bad news. Yeah. And, and and then you start to live it and you go, oh, actually, this really isn't bad news. In the same way, like if it looked like I was in control of my digestion or, or I needed to, and then someone told me you're actually not in control of my dig- your digestion, well, yeah, that might look like a problem until you realize that actually the body can handle its own digestion. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, the energy and intelligence of life it's kind of really good at building galaxies. So why would I need to take control <laughs> of my own life? Uh, wonderful. 
(laughs) (laughs) And it all comes back to, um, I guess, having less thinking going on as you go into coaching conversations, right? I I, I was listening to uh, my friend Kathy Presland, right? I was listening to her new podcast this morning on my walk. And one of the things she said, she somebody had asked a question, what's fearless coaching? That's another term that's, you know, we see banded around fearless coaching or this type of coaching. And I think she said something like, to me, that just means somebody who's coaching with a lot on their mind, which I thought was hilarious and <laughs> and essentially very accurate. Yeah. I mean, I suppose, like, h- how I would show up with a client, well, that isn't my job to determine like one client I might show up one way another client I might show up another way and what I see for myself is the more I recognize that my well-being is not a function of what my client thinks of me and what I think I've got to do with them then I will show up in whatever way I need to show up with that client um Sometimes, you know, it might be one way, sometimes it might be another. But that for me is is what that means, is that actually it's not about me. And what and, and my my coaching really used to look like it was about me. Mm-hmm. You know, oh I've got to get good results. And oh I've got to look good when I do this. You know, that's all rubbish. <laughs> you know. And the and the more of that there is, the more in the way we get of that in the moment wisdom and what we actually know to do yeah yeah where are our clients coming from how are they how are they finding you currently john <laughs> <laughs> are you just like i've no idea <laughs> yeah well it's i mean i get a lot of referrals uh, these days and um do you know it's funny like it, if you're a new coach maybe this is useful but here's what i noticed like in the early stages of building a practice People used to just ask me to do stuff. And my gut instinct would be to say yes. And then I'd have all this thinking about whether it was going to lead anywhere or, you know, um, how's that going to bring me a paying client kind of thinking. And and then after a while, I kind of just relaxed about that and stopped thinking about it, just started going with what made sense. Even if it didn't look like it was you know, immediately going to bring a client to me or bring in revenue or or, or whatever. And what I've noticed over time is that it seems like all of those bits and pieces of things that I've done, whether it's writing blogs or whether it was the podcast I played with, you know, making with my friend Nicola or, you know, whether it was just random videos that I made rambling about stuff or, or whatever, all of those things have become like touch points. And you know, when someone hears my name, they tell me, oh, well, I've gone and searched for you. And these are the things that I found. And the things that they found are all of these things that I kind of just made <laughs> randomly, but, you know, thought weren't going to lead anywhere. <laughs> so I'm just like, I, again, I laugh at this, the sort of the intelligence behind it that, that I just didn't see. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think a, a lot of it is also like a lot of what I do now that the health coaching is off the back of what I saw for myself by actually being in the conversation and, and being coached. Um, so, so the more I just stuck to sharing stuff around what I knew, um, I've noticed that it has more gravitas to it than, than stuff that maybe 
I kind of knew but didn't really see very clearly, if that makes sense. You know, it seems to me that um, you really can... Uh, well, for one, I, I just see more and more that we are taken care of in yeah. any case. Um, and there's that wonderful quote. Indeed, Michael mentions this very often. And, and, and for some reason, most of it's escaping me. It's the providence, providence moves to quote. Yeah. Um, when one is committed and you start taking action and what have you in that particular direction. Um, yeah. I just see, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking and, and, and chuckling as well at, at, at that question, where do, how do clients find you and where do they come from? Because a couple of my favorite stories, which I'll share, I probably have shared them already on this podcast. Yeah. Um, a couple of my favorites, like my one of my favorite clients currently, current, a current, current client, came to me last year and she said... Um, somebody had recommended my book to her right and it was somebody that i'd had a conversation with that i'd i'd, I'd coached or what have you and she kept mentioning this name and i sort of just let it slip i didn't know exactly who she meant and, and anyway she we ended up working together and, and it got a couple of months into our time together and i actually said to her okay so you keep mentioning this person's name who do you actually mean and she told me this person's full name i'm like oh my goodness oh okay because <laughs> that was somebody i just had like a one-off conversation with two yeah, years yeah. ago yeah yeah and, uh, and, and then there's a second story which is one of my favorites is that uh a guy came to me was it last year or the year before and um he said <laughs> uh, <laughs> just think it's so funny he yeah. said um yeah, I met you um, at this Robert Holden event in San Diego and I overheard a conversation you had with somebody. <laughs> so you weren't even speaking to them. No. Oh, that's funny. That really is funny. No, it's just kind of ridiculous, isn't it? So I, I actually don't think we can know where clients are coming from. It might look like we have some kind of system, but, you know, people I talk to and... and, um, and who are yeah. putting so much work into creating funnels and all that kind of stuff. My goodness, I want to fall asleep just even mentioning that. But well, um, yeah. it just seems to me, I don't know, there's something quite ridiculous about it that's really out of alignment with the essence of what it is we're pointing to anyway. Well, I'll give you an example, Phil. Like, my, my, like, before I, I, you know, when I was still in the IT stuff, I had this phase, this is another thing I did, I went through this kind of internet marketing phase, and I was, like, building these web websites for, um, you know, to try and uh, get affiliate sales for various things, and I, and I learned all these strategies for getting, like, traffic to websites and SEO and all of this kind of stuff, and I, and I wasn't really great at it. And I didn't really earn much from it either. And then um, when I got into the, you know, the coaching thing and, you know, I was, uh, and I was really just flowing with it. And I built a website because it occurred to me to build a website, not because I was trying to do anything with it, but just like, hey, let's build a website. And it, it didn't, you know, it wasn't the most amazing website and it wasn't SEO optimized in any way or anything like that. And then one day I happened to check the traffic levels on that website and where, where people were coming from. I was like, oh, I'm getting more traffic to this website than any of the other websites that I've <laughs> ever built where I followed all these SEO strategies. And I was just like, oh, okay, all right. So maybe this isn't my fabulous strategies that are actually getting people to come to me. you know. And there's a real danger that we want to try and reverse engineer things. Well, 
how ridiculous would it be to try and reverse engineer how I got my first paying clients? It wouldn't make sense. You know, I go back to an IT contract and I get coaching clients. So I give up on trying to build a practice. I do IT and I build a practice. Well, if you write that in a book, that's nonsensical. <laughs> Imagine someone else trying to do that. It wouldn't work. Yeah. You know, there's, there's something else behind life that transcends our nice, shiny, pretty concepts of how we think it works and... So I think you know it does. It does occur to me that it just seems like clients can be like happy accidents. I mean, that one somebody overheard me. I mean, at the very same event, um, stranger, even though that was in San Diego, at the very same event, I met somebody else who lives in Australia actually, and they became a client. You know, so I guess you can make yourself more accident prone by being out and about and indeed having conversations. Well, yeah, I mean, it seems to me, and I'm, 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 this is not my thing, this is horribly plagiarized, but it's, it's Michael once said to me, he said, it's, it's kind of three things. It's, is the grounding there? And, you know, are you showing up? And have you shown up for long enough? Mm-hmm. Right? And, you know, if the grounding's there, then you kind of already know that you can create impact with people. So you've actually put in the hours and you've impacted some people and you've also been impacted yourself. And then, and there's a danger with what I'm saying that someone could see it for the recipe. I'm not meaning it that way, but it just seems to me to be true that if the grounding is there, you will then want to show up more if this is your thing. And then once you've started doing that enough, it doesn't really matter how it's occurring to you to show up, whether you do a random podcast or whether you're at an event in San Diego or or whatever as long as you're showing up with that grounding enough and you you know you do it for long enough eventually things start to take hold and bear fruit but it's not because of any particular plan or strategy it's just because that seems to be how it works yeah. Yeah. Um, and we're really bad in my experience at predicting how long it takes mm-hmm. um, you know it, it, it took me several years to get to a place where I had a kind of steady stream of clients and, you know, I had a practice. Um, and that was with me really showing up and, and really being in the game. Um, and, I, and I know that goes against a lot of the, the kind of rhetoric that's out there. But I think it's important to be honest about that, people, because this isn't, it's like any profession, you know, you've got to put the time in a little bit and, and do the work for it to become for it to become a craft and a profession yeah well you can you can create a really exclusive practice that's so exclusive that there are no clients of course well, I, do do <laughs> I, I guess yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah um i'm wondering then i mean i i kind of sense maybe this question is null and void but let's play with it anyway because yeah. i'm sure there's been some things that might look like screw-ups but who knows they're probably not screw-ups but for one of a better term um failures i love i love this i love this kind of term about failing your way to express to express well there's part of it certainly being expression mm. failing yeah. your way to success yeah so i wonder if you if you reflect on that um what what occurs to you what is is there anything you'd like to share that perhaps looked like a, looked like a failure Mm-hmm. Well, I think the thing that springs to mind is is what I shared about when I went back to IT. I mean, at that point, it kind of looked like I failed. Um, 
you know, here I am, I put in lots of time learning stuff and desperately trying to create a practice and not really managing it. And the day I kind of said, oh, okay, I'm going back to IT, it was, it, it felt sad in a way, because yeah. it felt like I'd, I'd, I'd failed um, and that I, you know, I wasn't achieving what, what I'd set out to do and almost like a waste. But who knew what was going to happen as a result of that? I certainly didn't. Yeah. Um, and it was from that that actually I started to see more organically how how it is that we really connect with people and and what it is that people are really looking for and and that sort of thing and and it it then completely my whole shift my whole thinking about it totally shifted mm. um, and the other thing I'd say I don't know if this is quite relevant but I'll say it anyway like even the harshest points in your life actually become quite valuable when you're working with clients. So what I mean by that is when I was ill, because I went through this whole period of like being in chronic fatigue and very symptomatic and being in hospital and all sorts of stuff, like it really looked like I'd screwed up my life at that point. Um, you, you know, everything was in bits. And yet now I look back and the thing that lets me connect with so many of my clients, particularly the health clients, is, and I hear this time and time again, and they say to me, oh, you really did go through this, didn't you? And I'm like, yeah, this is not something I read in a book. This is something I, I went through and I suffered a lot and it was really hard, but I had a lot of insight as a result of going through it that now apparently is beneficial to the people that I work with. So my whole, I realize I'm making even that up, but my whole thinking about that period really looked like a total screw up. Actually, now I look at it and I go, wow, there was intelligence even in that. And I, I just didn't see it at the time. Now I'm equally aware that 10 years later, I could make up something totally different about it again and go, oh no, that was the worst thing that happened. I hope I don't, I don't think I will. Um, but it, it just does seem to me that there seems to be method in everything that happens. Um, and just because I, I look at something and think it's a failure doesn't necessarily mean that it is. And you don't know where it's actually going to lead. Yeah. So, so now even when I look at something and go, oh, why isn't this working or, or why has it happened this way? There is, well, A, there's a part of me that goes, hey, you're making that up. But B, there's another part of me that goes, you can't even begin to fathom in your <laughs> tiny little mind how the infinite creative potential wants to work through you. So don't even bother trying. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Love that. Love that. Uh, so you mentioned Michael. Um, who or indeed what else do you think has um, influenced you the most in your coaching? Oh, God. Um You know, one of the people that um, one of the people that was quite influential to me was a, a spiritual teacher I used to go see, um, which was kind of an age before I learned about the principles, but when I was falling out of the whole personal development stuff. And there was just the reason he influenced was not even so much what he said, 
because actually half the time I couldn't understand what he was saying to me. <laughs> um, but there was something about him and his presence and the feeling of him that indirectly pointed me home. Mm. And, and I didn't understand it. I just knew that every time I'd go and see him, I'd, I'd have the same laundry list of complaints about my life that I'd taken from teacher to teacher to teacher. And there was something about being in his presence that, that I dropped out of it. Yeah, um, and, the, and, and the thing that was fascinating about it was, I've shared this elsewhere as well, but the first time I saw him, he didn't actually say a word to me. I mean, he said hello and gave me a cup of tea. And then I sat with this guy for an hour. And every time I opened my mouth, he kind of gently just got me to stop talking. So there was nothing he even said to me that day, but I got quieter than perhaps I'd ever got in my life. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. He's not even done anything. Can I feel better? Now, as time went on, one of the traps I fell into was thinking that it was him that made me quiet. <laughs> now, I remember one day I plucked up the courage to ask him. And it was the third time I went to see him. So the, the first time I saw him, he was really, really quiet with me. He didn't say much. The second time he harped on about oranges and trees and, you know, how, how the sun came up and down. And I was like, I don't even know why you're telling me this stuff. Um, but I got quiet anyway. And then the third time I, I, I was like, you know, I went to see him and I was like, look, why do I get quiet when I see you? Because one time you say something to me, you, you, one, one, the first time I see you, you don't say anything to me. And then the second time you do talk to me, but you talk about stuff and I can't see the relevance of it. I'm like, why do I get quiet? And he said something really simple to me. And he said, that feeling is inside of you. And he said, the only difference between you and I is that I know that and you don't. Mm. And he said, one day you'll see. Well, fast forward like years later, the work I've done and the work I now do with clients. And I see that half the time, what really helps clients is that I see their health where they don't. Yeah. And there's something about the fact that I see their health that means that I come to them from the kind of feeling that that guy came to me. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't always see it with potential clients. So if I do, I don't work with them. Um, but I just realized how important how how it's much less about what we do and much more about how much we see truth for ourselves and see it in other people yeah and i mentioned this um just in the, the previous episode um <laughs> like to, to me that's an amazing shift for a coach to make right because that's so much more fun and enjoyable to look at and see the potential in your clients than just ruminate over our own perceived shortcomings. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I know I'm completely off track if I'm thinking anything really about me. And it, it's just, it's just such a beautiful profession to be able to sit and see the potential of, and of the person that's sitting in front of me. I, I'll often say to, clients when we start working okay I promise I promise to speak to only speak to the person that I see and that might not be the person you think I should see and I, and, I, and there's been a few times where clients have said 
you know, a few weeks in. Ah, now I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it is so funny. I think one of the things that really helps is that a client comes to us and they're so convinced there's something wrong with them mm. and that there's a problem with them. And you just sit there and you just can't see it. Yeah. And And just the fact that you can't see it opens the door to them because they're going, wait, but why can't you see it? It's like, because I just don't. <laughs> and, then, and they go, oh, oh, okay. Well, maybe it's not actually true because if it was true, then everybody should see it. Well, they can't because I genuinely can't. <laughs> John, time has flown by. I just got two more questions for you that I like to ask um, almost all of my guests. So just firstly, um, yeah. If you had a whole bunch of coaches in a room who were in the first couple of years or so of their practice and maybe they're struggling to create a viable business and what have you, but you just had one 30-second message for them, what might that be? Um, it would be don't be in a rush to prematurely make this your full-time business. Be really interested in your own development and growth and be really interested in making an impact on people. Because if you go and do enough work with people and you make enough impact with them, you'll start to get the seeds for what you need to grow a practice. And it isn't always the shiny marketing and all that sort of stuff. It's actually just you and what you see. Um, yeah, beautiful. So, and, and finally then, perhaps off the back of that, for you personally, John, what is mm. the purpose of your coaching? to wake people up to to the fact that they're actually always okay and to wake them up to the spiritual truth behind that that's beautiful thank you so much john it's been an absolute delight talking with you total pleasure to be here again phil lovely to speak to you again well, as I said, John is so wonderfully warm and engaging. I actually wanted to get him on this show quite some time ago, but he's just had so much going on. It was lovely to speak to him again. And once again, we hear about a shift from neediness and self-focus to focusing on being of service and focusing on the client. Um, of course, John talked about how we need to be free of neediness if we are to engage with people and build a practice. I loved his honesty around how he felt about going back into IT, into his IT job, and how initially he thought that might be a bad thing. But that, and his insights around it, got him away from that whole thing about saying to a client, I need you to pay me money so I can feel better about my life. I mean, of course, they didn't buy that. Who would? When you take off the table the need to make your coaching practice fulfill your life, you do it with better energy. And by being in the game from that place, you have a greater impact on people and people want to work with you. And talking of impact, one thing that's not discussed much around these parts are those coaches that have been impacted by an event, some training or a coach or done a few courses and then immediately think, right, now I'm going to make this my full-time career. I love John's message at the end there, not to jump into trying to make coaching your full-time vocation prematurely. There was a theme throughout this conversation that what looks like failure, such as going back to a job, 
might not be. It could be the start of something, um, something good or exactly what needs to occur for you to move forward. We simply never know. If there is a greater plan, it's certainly not ours. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. And as I always say, if you're enjoying this podcast, please pop on over to iTunes and leave a brief review. It will take you less than a minute and it'll help other people like you find this podcast and get an opportunity to enjoy these conversations too. Thank you once again for listening. It really wouldn't be the same without you. Until next time, I wish you much love and joy. Thank you.